Hey everyone, we're back this week with our new health series called Hormone Happy Hour that I do with Kea Perowit, my dear co-host on the series and co-founder in our business, Bia Wellness. And every Wednesday, Hormone Happy Hour will feature an in-depth interview with a leading women's health expert. Each expert will teach you step-by-step how to eat, think, and move in a way that is designed to help you feel great and create an abundance of energy in your life so you can build your own empire. Empire. Now let's jump into this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it. So I don't cook a lot on Sundays. You know, I try to think about like what I can do once to stretch things out. That's not to say I'm not a fan of meal prepping. Obviously, I think if you have the time and the desire to do it, then I think it's wonderful. But I think that there are ways to meal prep that are less time intensive and are more realistic for more people. So Yasmin, my question for you today is what is your biggest obstacle when it comes to getting in the kitchen and cooking? (laughs) Do you have an hour so I can tell you every pain point I have? I'm laughing because I have, I don't know if hesitation is the right word, but you are not seeing me cooking in the kitchen often, especially after we started Bia and life has become just busier for me. And I know it's all relative, but really the biggest obstacle for me is how can I make something that's quick, delicious, healthy, and just knowing the basics of what goes into all that? I feel like I don't have the fundamentals, if that makes sense. Do you think there's an obstacle that if you just have to cook for yourself, it's like, doesn't, it's not as interesting? Because Drew's like on a very, your husband is on a very particular plan. He has, he's eating certain things. It's like separate from what you're eating. Is there any sort of obstacle of like, oh, if I just have to cook for myself, I'm asking because I remember the story of when you were taking care of your niece and your nephew. (laughs) And I feel like you guys were doing a lot of cooking. You're like, you were preparing a lot of food. Do you feel like if it's just for you, it's like, "Eh, I don't want to do it. Yeah, I'm laughing because the first time Drew saw me in a kitchen, hardcore cooking was when we were taking care of my niece and nephew. And he's like, I didn't even know you had it. Like, where did this come from? But when you have to take care of like a being and a young, you know, I don't have, we don't have kids yet, but it's a whole nother thing. Um, Yes, I think, I think cooking for my husband specifically, it probably makes things a little bit more complicated because of his regimen and he's doing a specific workout thing, but he doesn't even have expectations of me taking care of him. I still, Kea, this might sound really nuts, even for me and and making sure I have three meals a day and the fact that it's healthy and I'm getting, you know, protein, fat and fiber, it's still a lot for me to cook. But what really saves me personally is being a little bit more thoughtful and the planning aspect of it. Because if you leave me to my resources day to day, I am way too busy to be thoughtful about stuff. And that's when you see me kind of do quick hits with food and just kind of trying to survive. And that doesn't make me feel good. So for me, planning is everything. But I'd love, I mean, what is your perspective, Kay? Like you are always making such beautiful, delicious things in the kitchen, but love to get your thoughts. Well, it's interesting because in the interview that we have coming up, she talks about there's two types of people. There's the people who are consistently thinking about their next meal, they're always thinking about food. And then there's the people who are not and maybe I fall a little bit in the middle. Um, But for me, the way that you love to like go outside and sit in the sun, my break is going to the kitchen and make a beautiful meal. 
And for me, like, it has to taste good and it has to look beautiful. And if it doesn't taste, like, flavorful, if it doesn't look good, I'm not eating it. So for me, I feel like there's, like, some sort of an art, like, that's my healthy creative outlet to just put something together. So it's, like, the thing that I look forward to. And I genuinely can't relate to the other side, which is, oh, I don't even think about food. That's like, me. That's... <laughs> I mean, it amazes me and not in a, a good or a bad way. It's just people are different. Yeah, I love that you brought that up, Kea, because I, I, there are really two different types of people. And I feel like Mia in this interview really spoke to people that are like you who are excited about food. That's their creative outlet. That's the break they have. Or And then there's also people like me who we get just so entrenched in our day to day. And my sense of a break isn't cooking. That's like the last thing I actually want to do when I want a break. So I just felt like this interview really impacted both of us in different ways. Totally. And I think the one of the key things here to understand is that whether you're somebody who thinks about food or you don't, you can make healthy eating a reality for you. There's ways to set up your kitchen, ways to set up your life so that it works for you, whether that be planning in advance or the more creative person who wants to go to the grocery store every day and pick out something new. So there's ways to make it work for everyone, which is what we talk about today. And our guest is Mia Rigdon. Mia is a board-certified nutritionist, trained chef, and the author of The Well Journal and FoodWise, which is a comprehensive, encouraging guide to healthy eating with 100 original, nutritionally balanced, and flavor-enriching recipes. I have both books. I use The Well Journal a while back, and it's such an amazing food journal. So if you haven't heard of a food journal before, it's just a way to track what you're eating throughout the day so you can see how did I feel when I eat that. But Mia's journal is awesome because it really goes into so much more than just here's all the macros that I ate. It's mm -hmm. like, how did you feel after eating that meal? How did you sleep? What else did you bring into the mix? There's an area to track your supplements. So I feel like Mia has a really healthy and helpful way of understanding how food affects our bodies and our mind and our spirit. And I'm super excited for this interview. I love it. It's exactly, she, t she takes such a holistic approach to it, which I love. But yeah, in this interview, we also talk about the practical tips to make healthy eating a reality, which is great for people like me. We also talk about how to do an elimination diet, which is the gold standard when it comes to identifying what your food sensitivities may be. And we also talk about Mia's tips and tricks when it comes to making home-cooked meals super, super easy. So I'm excited for this interview. Let's jump into it. Welcome, Mia. We're super happy to have you on. I just want to jump into the question that I was thinking about when I was reading your book, which is amazing, by the way. So you. you are a trained, you're a nutritionist and you're a trained chef. Do you mm -hmm. think that people need to have some level of knowledge and skill in the kitchen to make this a part of their daily lives? Eating, eating healthy, uh, cooking every day and really sticking to it. Do you, do you have to be a trained nutritionist and a culinary chef to make this happen? Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. And I love this question so much. You know, I think that cooking is a muscle. That's what I always tell people. You know, like I went to culinary school many, many moons ago, uh, which was wonderful and, of course, gives you a great foundation. But following recipes is like, you know, following directions. And I think the more that you cook – you know, you, you pick up different things and you learn, you know, different techniques or, you know, sometimes I make something and I'm like, I'm not going to do it like that next time. You're not just like 
no one's born just this fabulous cook. It's just, it's something that you work on. But that said, like, despite my culinary background, I'm not someone who like day to day is spending a ton of time in the kitchen. And that's something that I always try to like relay to my clients. You know, Mm -hmm. I work full time. I have a family. I'm busy. I don't have time to make these elaborate meals every night. And I think that the hardest part like is figuring out how you can incorporate healthy routines that feel really good into your life. Mm. And this idea that you have to spend all of this time in the kitchen, I think is this like roadblock for so many people. It's a non-starter. Like I don't have the time. I don't have the budget. I don't, you know, have the desire to do this every day. So there's just no way I'm going to be able to eat healthy. And so really in so much of my work with the book, I've got online courses and more. I, I think it's, you know, I always tell my clients when they, um, come to me that I have two rules that are hard and fast is that it has to be easy and you have to like the food because there's just no way you're going to, it's going to become a daily habit. If a, you don't like the food, also what's the point if you don't enjoy the food? Um, and also if it's too hard, it might be something that you do for a couple days or a week. And then it's like, "Eh, forget this. This is too difficult for me. So, um, so I guess that kind of answers your question in two, two, two ways. Yes, I think that the more you cook, the more skills you'll develop. But also, I think that I, I think it's really important to try to make it as easy on yourself as possible so that you can actually do it. Well, this is like music to my ears because I'm someone who's like, I'm not a good cook. I don't have time to cook. So like this interview is going to be so impactful for me because I am like your clients when they first meet you. And I'm scared of cooking now, but I'm excited. But before we kind of go into the nitty gritty of that, I'd actually love to talk about you and kind of your relationship with food Mm -hmm. and diet. So I'd love to learn more about what happened to you maybe personally when you went on an ultra strict diet and how did you kind of get out of that mindset of restriction and more abundance, which is kind of what you preach today? Yeah. Well, I'll take a step back. I grew up in Northern California. My grandmother actually was such an incredible woman. She studied to be a dietitian at Carnegie Mellon in the thirties, forties. She was like, an OG uh, and an incredible cook, but she was always so keen and interested on nutrition. She was like slathering coconut oil all over her in the 90s when like no one would touch fat with like a 10 foot pole. Like I remember going to Whole Foods with her and being like, grandma, that's a lot of coconut. (laughs) um, But she was so incredible and my family loves to cook. So I always knew I wanted to work with something with food. And when I graduated from school, from I went to um, UC Santa Barbara and I studied English because they didn't have nutrition. And then I wanted to work in food. So I went to culinary school in New York. And then I find myself in New York City and I ended up working not in the kitchen after culinary school. I was working in the office for Danielle Boulud, who's an incredible French chef. And then I was doing restaurant PR. So in my early 20s, I was dining at, you know, three-star Michelin restaurants and, you know, also having way too much fun being in my early 20s in New York City. And I felt terrible. And I couldn't figure out how to rectify my, like, love of, like, food. Like, I love French cuisine. I love the, the history of it. I love, like, trying different foods. I like to travel and experience different cultures through food. And I couldn't figure out how to, like, feel better, but still have this thing that I loved. And this was when juice cleanses were really popular. So I was doing these like crazy juice cleanses, three days, five days, all the time, and like going to work and doing my workouts. And 
it was really hard. Uh, I would, I was starving, but then after three or five days, I would feel so much better. And so for a couple years, I was just oscillating between these like really strict cleanses and then like, you know, I mean, almost like gluttony because I was going to these restaurants. I mean, the quality of the food was very high, but it was still, it was just like a lot. And when you work in the restaurant industry, you know, you go to dinner with a friend and you order your food and then they send you a pizza or they send you, you don't want to be rude. They send you like all the desserts and you're like, "Ah, okay, let's just take like a couple bites of each of these. So I just, I couldn't figure out how to, how to do both, how to like, you know, pursue my passions and to experience food in the way that I wanted to experience it while also, you know, feeling the way that I wanted to feel. And it took a lot of exploration for me um, until I really discovered doing an elimination diet. And so um, that was when, you know, I feel like a lot of the nutrition information that we're given or fed is like, do this, this is good for you, but we don't really understand why. And like, and I hear this so often from people like, oh, well, I hear that we're like not really supposed to eat a lot of dairy, but I don't really know. And I feel fine. And I think until you eliminate that food from your diet and see, and you can measure an actual difference in the way that you feel and then reintroduce that food and notice that you felt a different way. I think until you make that connection, does it start to click for you that, oh, I actually don't like the way that this makes you feel. And for different people, it's going to be different. It doesn't have to be so black and white. Like all dairy all the time might not be off limits. But I think that there it can be very confusing with like a lot of the like clickbait headlines about nutrition that we hear um, and, you know, stuff we hear from our friends or look at find on social media and not really understanding how to incorporate that in our life or not trying it for long enough to see or feel a tangible difference. Yeah, absolutely. So you said something there, elimination diet, which a lot of people might not be familiar with. It's pretty much the gold standard in functional medicine. So walk us through what is an elimination diet and why is it beneficial for someone to do if they are experiencing some symptoms? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think everyone is experiencing some symptoms, but we just learn to live with it. Like, I think if you walk down the street and you ask 10 people how they're feeling, they'd be like, I'm fine. You know, I'm a little tired. Like, you know, I'm bloated sometimes or like, you know, but we start to accept our symptoms as part of us. Or, yeah, sometimes I have anxiety or I'm just an anxious person. And we don't realize, like, I had tons of anxiety. We don't realize that a lot of that is, you know, maybe a symptom of you know, our lifestyle and the foods that we're eating. So, you know, what an elimination diet does is you can do an elimination diet with any food. You could say, you know, I'm going to eliminate, let's take gluten, for example. You say, I'm going to eliminate gluten for, you know, a certain period of time. I think three weeks is like the minimum. You're probably going to get a lot more benefits if you move upwards of six to eight weeks. But three weeks is a great starting point. I'm going to not eat any. I'm going to allow my body to completely get rid of all the gluten because when you eat that food, when you eat a food, it lives inside, you know, your bloodstream and you, your body creates antibodies for it, you know, for a minimum of three weeks. So we got to get that food out of our body 
see if we notice any differences. That's where I think keeping like some sort of a journal or a log, you know, your skin, your digestion, your focus. I think, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're feeling more clear-minded and productive, having less brain fog, your sleep, your anxiety, your irritability levels and your mood. Like notice to see if in your digestion, of course, if you find any differences in your body and then you reintroduce that food. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can really see, okay, this is how this food makes me feel. And as you said, Kaya, elimination diet is still the gold standard for discovering food sensitivities. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com. And check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. And so what are some other ways like I see a lot of tests there's online mm-hmm. you know different I won't call any companies out but they say like oh there's a food sensitivity test that you can take why is the elimination diet maybe a little bit of a better choice than something yeah. like that Well what's interesting like what those tests are testing for is antibodies in your bloodstream so I have a lot of people that come to me and they'll say I took one of these food sensitivity tests and I am um, sensitive to, or sometimes they don't really even understand the difference between an intolerance, a sensitivity, and an allergy, but they'll say, I'm allergic. That's what I'll hear. I'm allergic to chicken, lettuce, and avocados, and every single day I have a chicken salad with avocado for lunch. So what am I going to eat now? I'm panicked. Like, this is crazy. How am I not going to eat lettuce? And first of all, I don't know why lettuce is that. That's what I see. So one of the issues I have with these tests is that some of the foods feel kind of random. Like there's so many different types of lettuce, like, you know, just to like blanket, put lettuce on the form or there'll be some nuts on there, but not all nuts. So, you know, there's so many foods that we eat. So I think that they just like aggregate, I don't know, whatever common foods they find. And then they test for those antibodies in your bloodstream. So if you're eating that food all the time, you're probably going to have antibodies for them. So, you know, if I see someone that has a ton of food sensitivities on one of those tests, Mm -hmm. what it's really telling me is that they have leaky gut. And so, you know, there's some sort of, you know, dysregulation in their gut, you know, and those food particles are leaking into their bloodstream and their immune system is creating antibodies Mm. to attack them. Uh, And so what we can do, what that really says to me is, okay, you know, we need to work on some gut healing. Because the goal is not, you know, my frustration that I experience sometimes in these situations is that somebody says, oh, I have a sensitivity to this thing. I just am not going to eat it for the rest of my life or I'm going to avoid it. And that's not the goal. The goal is to get your gut to a place to be able to handle Mm -hmm. most things. Is that right? Yes, yes. And that is so 
my, you know, what my goal is for all of my clients or anyone reading the book and doing the reset, which is an elimination diet, is to be able to eat more and to feel more confidence in your body. Because what you might find is that you eliminate a certain food for a certain amount of time while you're nourishing and fueling yourself with really healthy foods and also sleeping well, reducing yeah. your stress and anxiety, like you know, doing all the things outside of what you eat to really nourish and heal your body. And then you might be able to digest that food. I've had clients who, you know, even on like an allergy spectrum have tested for many allergies and we went through a gut healing protocol and you know within six months to a year we're no longer testing positive wow. for those allergies which i find and they were mild but you know like rashes on their face mm. and you know digestive issues but things that would really affect them if they were trying to enjoy a dinner out with friends and it's hard to receive that news like oh you are um, allergic to black pepper. It's like, oh gosh, yeah. like, <laughs> like, how am I going to eat? And that is a horrible thing to hear. But what I'm seeing is that, you know, maybe not in 100% of the cases, but I am seeing that if we do like really work on healing the gut, that your tolerance level will improve and you might be able to introduce those foods in a way so you don't have to be like, you know, checking the ingredients and telling the waiter, you know, that you can't eat those things. Obviously for some true allergies, that's very different, but I find with sensitivities that that's mm -hmm. certainly the case is that, you know, you might be able to reintroduce those foods uh, um, safely and, you know, enjoy them and feel confident about them. Or maybe you find like, you know, with dairy, for example, maybe you find that some like sheep and goat's milk yeah. cheese once a week feels okay. But if you're, you know, drinking cow's milk, then that's not a good form of dairy for you. And so, and I think that, you know, I mean, cheese is delicious. I love cheese. And like, that's something that I used to be super rigid about. Like I wouldn't eat any dairy. And now I eat a lot of cheese and I love it and I feel really good about it. So, yeah. yeah. And I have a question. I mean, it, this might be a, a more detailed answer, but, you know, you're talking about how some of these clients you've worked with who have sensitivities and stuff once you heal the gut, they're able to kind of take certain things on, right? So similar to me, like I, I'm not allergic to nuts and dairy per se, but I get, I break out all the time and I actually don't feel as good. So I for sure have some gut issues, but what are some of the things for maybe women who are listening in on this podcast today who know, oh, I have a sensitivity. I should start looking into my gut. What are maybe some things they can incorporate to kind of begin that healing process for them? Yeah. Well, I think that there are things you can incorporate, but there's also the things we need to stay away from. And whatever that food is that's aggravating you, you might want to stay away from it for a little while just to give your body a break. Um, and then as you're giving your body a break, you also want to stay away from other foods that are aggravating your gut, alcohol, you know, processed foods, added sugars, you know, these sorts of foods that we know are not supportive of our health, but could be, you know, working against us. I think that sometimes in our culture, we say like, you know, just have some turmeric and then, you know, we'll reduce inflammation. And obviously turmeric is amazing. I'm not, you know, saying that it's not, but there's other things that we need to do in addition to adding in the turmeric. And I think that, you know, for your gut in particular, you know, eating an abundance of, um, of, of plant-based foods as far as like, you know, different types of fruits and vegetables and fiber rich foods is really going to help, you know, that prebiotic value to, build a healthy microbiome. Um, I'm a really, really big proponent of dietary diversity. I have this like 
challenge that I um, ask all of my clients to complete in our first week together. I ask them to eat 20 different vegetables in one week and make a list, but I'll count different types of lettuces because there's a lot of different ones. I count herbs as a vegetable because I think herbs are such a great way to add nutrients and flavor to a dish. Um, I'll count like garlic, onion, like shallot can be different and ginger, like all those things will be different. So it's actually not as difficult to get to 20 as possible, but as you know, as it might sound. But when I first say this to someone, they kind of look at me like, I have four eyes. Like, I didn't even know there were 20 vegetables. Um, But then once you dig into it, you realize like, oh, okay, I haven't had eggplant in a while. Or, you know, maybe we should get some, you know, snap peas or some escarole or, you know, there's a lot of different um, things to, to play around with. So, yeah. So I think that eating a lot of, you know, fruits and vegetables is really helpful for your prebiotic value. And then, you know, adding in fermented foods. I love miso, sauerkraut kimchi. Mm. You know, there's tons of wonderful fermented foods out there that are going to help add probiotics. I'm a big fan of taking a probiotic. Um, And, you know, sleeping, reducing stress. I mean, I can't underestimate the power of getting a good night's sleep and doing everything that you can to try to, to make sure that you're prioritizing your sleep. Yeah, absolutely. So for the person who's coming to you and looking at you like you have four eyes when you say (laughs) eat 20 different varieties of vegetables or fruits, let's say somebody's coming to you, they have zero experience in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. They know they need to get healthy. Their doctor has prescribed it. They don't know where to get started and they pretty much never picked up a knife or anything in their lives. What are, how are you approaching this kind of person? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think that the most important thing is understanding the balance of of your meal. Because even sometimes I have people coming to me that are saying, I eat really healthy, you know, and but I don't understand why I don't have any energy, why I'm not able to lose weight, why my blood sugar is high, all of these things. And I think it comes down to the proportion of macronutrients in your meals. So I think the number one thing that I see that the issue that I see with people is that they're under eating protein. Like number one, hands down, far, uh, far and beyond number one. Um, I find most people are severely under eating protein uh, and then they don't have energy and they crave a lot of sugar as a mm-hmm. result of that. So, you know, understanding what a balanced meal looks like and then figuring out how we can assemble that. So I have an online course about meal prep and in it there's this you know, I call them the like assembly jobs. And so those are, you know, meals that you're not cooking, you're assembling. So I try to think like what else, what I do is I break down the meal into different components. So you've got your base. Okay. Is it a grain bowl? Do we need some rice? Is it a salad? Do we need lettuce? Is it a a taco? Do we need a tortilla? Are we having a sandwich? Do we need bread? Like what, what is the dish that we're having? And then is it pasta, whatever it is. And then, okay, so we've got our base and then we need to make sure we've got our protein. What is, what's going to be our veggie? Um, and then, you know, maybe a sauce because, you know, sauces make everything more delicious. And then maybe some extras, like maybe you're putting some pickled red onions on there or like your favorite, you know, for a cocky blend or something like that or some nuts or seeds. You're, you know, 
your BIA, like, you know, what is the extra thing that you're putting on there to give you nutrients? Uh, and you don't have to cook these things. Like I use frozen brown rice all the time. Like I'll buy pre-washed organic greens. Like mm-hmm. you can buy proteins that don't require a ton of cooking. So, you know, the first part of like meal prep or setting yourself up for success is like smart grocery shopping. Mm-hmm. And I always operate off of a good, better, best mentality. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I live in Santa Monica. I can go to the gorgeous farmer's market and buy the most unbelievable. I mean, it's a huge privilege to live here and have access to that food, but I don't always do it. Like I would like to, like I would love, I love the idea of like making all these delicious meals, home cooked every single day. But the reality is that I'm not always able to do it. So, you know, that's great. We love best, you know, we love that. But if if you can't do best, so that means you're not going to do anything at all. Like, let's think of some other options. Like there's some good, you know, there's some great alternatives that don't require doing all that. You know, I didn't make it to the farmer's market yesterday. That doesn't mean that I can't have healthy foods for the week because I can grocery shop in a smart way that I can assemble meals instead of having to like cook a bunch of stuff all the time. And are you are you a, a fan of meal prepping? So I know a lot of people, they take the time on the weekend Sundays, mm-hmm. they batch a ton of stuff, batch cooking at that point. Do you do that in your house? And I think you have a, a son or a daughter. I have a son. Yeah. Have a he's son. Okay. So you're a mom, you're busy. How are you making all of that work? So I don't cook a lot on Sundays. And so, you know, that's what in my meal prep course, a lot of it is about assembly. Like there are some like I'll normally make dinner on Sunday night. And then while I'm making dinner, like I love the idea of habit stacking. So Mm -hmm. while I'm making dinner, I'll make like a huge thing of brown rice. I'll roast a ton of veggies. I'll Mm -hmm. like, you know, throw like way more chicken in the oven than we actually need. And I'll hard boiled some eggs. And so like it doesn't take me extra time to do those things because I'm already making dinner or you know, I love this salmon that I get from the Santa Monica Farmer's Market. So I'll buy that on a Sunday, cook it, and then I can have it for lunch the next day too. So, you know, I try to think about like what I can do once mm-hmm. um, to stretch things out. That's not to say I'm not a fan of meal prepping. Like, obviously, I think if you have the time and the desire to do it, then I think it's wonderful. But I think that there are ways to meal prep that are less time intensive and are more realistic for more people, Um, whether that's just like making dinner on, you know, Sunday night and like trying to make a bunch of leftovers with it or even like, you know, buying some things that don't require a ton of cooking that require that are more like assembly. And I love this concept. Actually, it feels more approachable when you're saying like you just cook a bunch of stuff, habit stack, and you're just assembling like that makes a lot of sense to me. Are you I don't know if this is part of your course or something you preach, but like, are you being mindful about generally what you're trying to make? Like, okay, we might make like one taco bowl. Like, how do you think about the meal itself for the assembly piece? Yeah, I do think about that. It depends. Like some weeks, like maybe I'll make some like, you know, chicken in the pressure cooker, you know, and I'll put some carnitas spice in there or something like that. And then I'll think like, okay, we're gonna have a taco bowl one night and I might Mm -hmm. have, you know, and we've got some tortillas and I might have like a taco for lunch. So yeah, I definitely do like think in those terms. And I try to like map out my meals for the week so that I've grocery shopped appropriately and that the meals don't won't take an exorbitant amount of time. Like if you already have, you know, steamed broccoli, you know, sometimes just changing up the sauce can make the meal yeah. totally different. So like if you have some like steamed veggies and some rice, 
then you can make so many different meals with that. Like, you know, we can have like, you know, like a, like a kimchi bowl one night and I can just like, you know, put some salmon in the oven and I can put some brown rice kimchi, you know, like a good sauce and the salmon. And then the next night we can have like something that is completely different. Maybe I like do a smear of hummus and some fresh greens and some chicken with the brown rice. So it can be totally different, but not really requiring as much, you know, it's not like every single night, it's a whole new thing Mm -hmm. with a whole new set of ingredients. And I noticed this, like I worked in restaurants for a long time. If you go to a restaurant, you notice that they kind of do the same thing. So, you know, there are a lot of repeats of ingredients so that not every single dish has a whole new set of uh, ingredients and preparations. Like they're they're very sly about it, but that, I mean, it, it just makes things a lot easier. Yeah, I swear if you can nail a few dressings and sauces, it's like right. life-changing. Totally. Yeah, which is sometimes the hardest part. Yeah, but there's also so many great dressings and sauces that, you know, you can buy that are pre-made. Like, you know, Primal yeah. Kitchen has some great ones. So something I normally recommend to clients is like go like and go buy a couple at the store and like try them and have like your go-tos. So, you know, it's great to also have some sauces under your belt for when you feel yeah. like making them, but to just have like a couple of salad dressings or I love, there's this one like sesame ginger one from Primal Kitchen that, that one. you can marinate or a salad dressing. Mm. It's just so versatile that you could do it on veggies, you could do it with fish or with meat and you know, or just on a simple salad. And so it's just easy to have like one thing, you like the taste, you don't have to make it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Something that we get a lot, um, just I think with the state of the economy in the world and perhaps mm-hmm. the looming recession is that healthy eating can often feel really expensive. And yeah. I think that, you know, there is some truth to that in some senses, yeah. but also too, there are ways to make it work. What are your some of your budget-friendly tips for somebody who's trying to make this a part of their lives? Well, I think frozen vegetables are great. Mm. You know, frozen vegetables, like organic frozen vegetables are pretty affordable. And, you know, they're picked ripe and frozen fresh immediately. So I think that that is an excellent option. Um, also, you know, I think that, you know, when you're – you can be buying things in bulk – Um, you know, also there's some great produce places that you can buy from that they're selling like the like offshoots, you know, like the misfits produce and, or like joining a local CSA. Some of them are, have like really economical choices. Um, but I don't think that it needs to be, I don't think we need to overcomplicate our meals. I think with, you know, some rice and some veggies and a protein, like we can make a lot of like really fantastic meals. Like, you know, it, I look at, I did once the like cost comparison of a McDonald's hamburger versus like buying grass-fed beef. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a pound of grass-fed beef is, you know, between like, I think like 12 to $20. Um, and a McDonald's hamburger, I can't remember the exact math right now, but it was actually more expensive to have that equivalent meat of McDonald's hamburgers than it was because it's so such a little amount of meat in there mm-hmm. um, than it was to like, you know, buy the beef and cook it ourselves. And obviously animal protein is more expensive, 
but I don't think we need to be eating, you know, six, eight ounces of it. You know, I feel like four ounces is a great portion. So you can feed, you know, with 16 ounces, you could be feeding four people. Yeah. And I love actually what you were saying before about layering, making these bowls and layering and using different ingredients, but different sauces, because I think often people see a ton of recipes and they're like, I need to buy ingredients for every single one of these recipes. But Mm -hmm. the smart thing is to, hey, like just have some rice here, some lettuce here, some veggies here, stack it, add some different topping. And that could be some variation of that could be happening every night and it's not super expensive. Totally. And also, you know, in the short term, the food, it it is expensive. And like, we're all seeing the price of food increase and it's, you know, it's a very real thing, but I think we're also seeing the, you know, what I see happening as well is, you know, medications are expensive. I find that insurance is covering less and less, um, you know, not being able to work, having to call in from sick, like call in from work sick or having to stop working earlier than you wanted to because of your health, you know, that also is costly. So, you know, it's a very tricky, it's an unfortunate and, you know, very nuanced conversation. And I think people save money in the long run by buying these foods up front, but I know that that's not available to everyone. So yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about your book, FoodWise, and just if you can kind of walk us through what was the inspiration behind it, just give us a little bit of a lay of the land. Yeah, so FoodWise is really how I want to eat. Um, I, I, of course, I'm a nutritionist, and so you know it's important to me that everything I do, as far as like the recipes that I'm putting out there, is rooted in nutrition science and is really going to help people feel better. But then I've got this part of me that is, you know, super into food, likes to cook. You know, I want to eat like really yummy, like delicious food. Uh, And so with FoodWise, what I wanted to create were recipes that were you know, easy and healthy enough that you would want to make it on a Monday night because you're like, okay, let's let's make something healthy tonight, but that you also might make for friends on a Saturday night who are coming over because it feels exciting and fun. It doesn't feel like, you know, okay, like I, we entertain a lot at my house. Uh, we love to have a dinner party and I don't want anyone to ever feel like, oh, we're going to the nutritionist's house for dinner. <laughs> Maybe we should stop on the way. Like I want them to feel like they're getting like a really abundant, exciting meal and then feel really good after eating it. So that was really the inspiration behind, behind FoodWise. It was really important to me that the photography felt like, you know, like it wasn't a healthy cookbook, like it was just a cookbook, you know, and that it felt really abundant and that the food fit felt elevated. But then at the same time, I don't want the recipes to be too difficult to make. Uh, and I want them to, of course, feel really good when you eat them. Yeah, I love that. Oh, sorry, Yasmin, were you going to say something? Yeah, no, I said I love that. It's like music to my ears. And I know in the book, you also recommend eating a satisfying breakfast, a lunch as a main event, and a lighter dinner, which I think is amazing. Can you maybe talk more about Mm -hmm. the benefits of eating like that and maybe give us an example of what that day kind of looks like? Yeah. So the book, you know, it's got the recipes. The The first part of the book is all nutrition information and includes my um, 21 day program called the reset, which is an elimination diet. Okay. But the reset is like a very, if we are eliminating the low hanging fruit. Like you could, we, I know we talked about food sensitivities, but 
you could be sensitive to anything. Like you could be sensitive to, to perfectly healthy foods like avocados or eggs. You know, it just depends on what's going on in your body. But the foods that I found people to notice the largest impact by taking a break from were gluten, dairy, added sugars, mm-hmm. you know, processed foods and seed oils, um, alcohol and coffee. Um, and so that's what we're focusing on for the reset. And, you know, what I, it's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to like drink less wine this month. Um, I think that's actually very difficult to do. I think it's easier to say, I'm not drinking wine for 21 days and here's my plan that I'm following. So I think it's, that it's helpful to have some boundaries and a plan to follow so that you can give yourself the time and the consistency to be successful. So the reset is that plan so that you can actually do the thing. So in the reset, like satisfying breakfast is protein rich. So I've got a lot of protein smoothie recipes in there. There's some other egg dishes. There's a pancake. So you want to make sure that you're getting a good serving of protein in the morning. That's really going to set the tone for your blood sugar levels throughout the day. It's going to, you know, make sure that you're not like snacking your way through um, through the day or having these energy fluctuations or cravings. For lunch, I like lunch to be like, I like to think of it as like European style, you know, like your largest meal of the day. Uh, and then, you know, an afternoon sa- snack, wonderful. I like to think I think like a good cadence of eating throughout the day is every like three to five hours. So, you know, if your meal has adequate protein, healthy fats and some fiber, it should keep you full for three hours. So Mm -hmm. if you find that you're hungry after like 90 minutes, then you might want to ask yourself, okay, did I have enough protein in that meal? Is that why I'm not hungry or is that why I'm feeling hungry? Am I bored? Do I not want to send that email? And so I'm going to go over to the kitchen and grab something. Um, Am I stressed out about something? Like, what is the reason here? You know, I mean, if you're hungry, you should eat. But like, you know, just thinking like what I what I notice is that when people really think about the macronutrient balance in their meal and not of what they're not having, but what they're adding into it, that they feel much more satisfied and are able to, you know, focus on what they're doing. So, you know, if you wait, so that's where I think three hours is a good gauge. I think if you wait longer than five hours to eat, you run the risk of being overly hungry. And that's when we kind of lose the will and the motivation to make healthy choices is when we're like eating a bunch of chips while we're figuring out what to, what to have. <laughs> um, and we all do it. So we're all guilty of it. Yes. So anyway, so I think, you know, you've got your satisfying protein rich breakfast, You've got, you know, your European style lunch. I think that makes it sound more fun. And then you've got, you know, perhaps a snack in the afternoon, maybe an apple and some almond butter, hard-boiled eggs. I think something with some protein in it to like, again, make sure you're feeling full and satisfied and manage your blood sugar levels. And then a lighter, earlier dinner. So, mm-hmm. you know, I just noticed across the board, I've been doing this for a really long time and the science supports it, is that if you leave at least three hours um, between dinner and bedtime, you're going to sleep better. I find that, you know, it's much better for your digestion. And, you know, so that's where the kind of like lighter, earlier dinner comes from. Yeah. And I love the, um, some of the questions you were asking yourself when you were saying like, am I bored? Am I trying to avoid, you know, sending an email? It reminds me a lot of the journal that you put together. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember what year that journal came out, but it's called the well journal. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I loved it. I found it, I think, at a store or somewhere. Maybe I was at Goop or something and I saw it and I picked it up. And I thought it was such an interesting take on a journal, on a food journal, because usually food diary, it's like 
what did you eat for breakfast? What did mm-hmm. you eat for lunch? What did you eat for dinner? And nobody even wants to fill out that information. But your journal was so interesting because it asked really interesting questions. It wasn't just about like, hey, what did you eat? It was also about what did you feel throughout the day? Did you get enough sleep? Were you drinking mm-hmm. water? And I think that um, we don't really often ask ourselves those questions. So where did the idea for that journal come from? And kind of, yeah, walk us through the inception of that. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that and that you liked it. Um, well, I was having, you know, basically a lot of my clients were coming to me and they were using my fitness pal. And I think we have this like natural human inclination to want to quantify things. Like we want to see like a numeric value assigned to something, um, which is fine. But I think that this emphasis on calories, I mean, it's just, it's not productive. And so I hated how those apps would just like show the calories. And so I created these elaborate Google documents um, so that we could gather, you know, qualitative data. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's not to be like, okay, I had like one quarter cup of this and a teaspoon of olive oil. You know, it's not about that. It's a, I ate this and then I felt this way afterwards. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like what I was saying earlier uh, in this conversation that, you know, it's really important for me that, you know, any of my clients or anyone reading the book is like learning how to connect the dots of like their habits and the consequences of them, like positively or negatively. Like you can't make a change unless you're aware of what you're doing. So you might and people I find don't even know what they're eating throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So what I found really valuable when I started collecting this data, like literally on Google Sheets, is that I would see and be able to say to a client, well, you know, when you don't sleep well, you eat a lot more sugar. Like it's, it's obvious. So, you know, and I think sugar cravings is a great example of this because there's two ways that you can go about like trying to conquer a sugar craving. And I think the like kind of classic diety culture way of doing it is like be disciplined. It's like, don't eat the sugar, don't eat the sugar. And some days you will triumph over your cravings and other days you'll cave and then you'll feel horribly about yourself. But either way, I think it's kind of stressful You know, you're either like trying to muscle through it or you feel badly about a decision that you made. And what I found find to be like time and time again, so much more impactful is if we nourish like and when you see, Mm -hmm. oh, wow, like I was like watching TV way too late and then I didn't sleep well and then I was rushed running out the door. So like I grabbed something at Starbucks and then I was like doing this and doing this. Okay, like maybe what I really need to do is go to bed earlier. And then you're not fighting your sugar cravings anymore or, wow, I had no idea that, you know, my oatmeal was spiking my blood sugar so much. Like, you know, I had a client recently who, you know, she got COVID and then she was saying to me like, oh, I think that like COVID had just made me have a sweet tooth. And as we were digging a little deeper, she told me that she just didn't really have much like a taste for anything in COVID. So she started having oatmeal every morning and she told me she wasn't really, you know, she was sick. And so she didn't put her protein in there and blah, 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 blah. And I said, try to have a savory breakfast tomorrow and like, let me know how that goes. And she emailed me the next day. She's like, this is crazy. I've had no sugar cravings all day. So, you know, it's interesting to look at the data and it's not from a place of like, oh, that was bad. You shouldn't have eat that. It was like, oh, that's interesting. Like I can set myself up for success or like, like I need to have a snack in my bag. I need to like, these are things that I can do so that I can feel better and I can be more consistent and I can reach my goals. So I like to think of it as like a more like 
you know, kind of like loving and, uh, you know, like a more nourishing approach to, you know, keeping the data. And also, I mean, studies confirm time and time again, if you write down what you eat, like you're going to be much more mindful of it. So it really is a mindfulness practice. Like people don't want to write down if they, you know, so they think about it, like, okay, like, do I really want to eat this? Like, no, I don't want to write that down. Like, I don't want this. Like, why am I doing this? Like, so much of what we eat sometimes can just be without thought and understanding how foods and routines make you feel and putting, you know, more intention into Mm. your food choices, I think is really powerful. And that's kind of the story behind the journal. Yeah, I love that. And Yasmin and I talk about it all the time because everyone is so different too. Like for me, if I, I just don't make time in my schedule to cook. So then what I'll end up doing is the same thing. Oh, I waited way too long to eat. Now I just ate half a bag of chips or something like that. And then for not to call Yasmin out, I don't think no, you're please do. No, I'm, I'm please share. It's real. Yeah. But for Yasmin, her <laughs> hunger cues are different. She doesn't get like, oh, the typical like, oh, I'm hungry sort of thing. It's like she just maybe feels unfocused mm-hmm. or something or whatever it is. So I think writing it down like, oh, I didn't eat and this is how I felt can totally. be so amazing. Yeah. And that's very true. I notice in my client work that people fall into two camps. There are people who are like, like me, I'm constantly thinking about food. I'm like, what am I going to have next? What's going to be this just because I just love it. So I'm always thinking about it. And then there's other people who just get so engrossed in whatever they're doing that they completely forget to eat. Uh, And neither, neither, you know, I mean, they're just different. And so then it's really helpful to understand that about yourself. And, you know, what I would recommend is like putting it in your calendar lunchtime. Because you know that if you, you know, miss it, that you're going to be overly hungry and you're not going to be able – it also takes time to, like, get whatever it is that you're going to get, whether you're making it or ordering it or whatever. So uh, – and it's difficult when all of a sudden the hunger hits you. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. that. No, I think putting it in the calendar is really important. And also what I love about your approach is the mindfulness. So, like, there will be days where – you know, I know all this stuff. Can I interview top experts like you? And I'm living and breathing wellness, but there's still days where I'll miss lunch. And then, but now that I'm more mindful of it, I'm like, oh, I felt, I did not feel good. I had no energy for the latter part of the day. And then just the next day I'll bounce back and really try to be more regimented about food. So I think having Mm -hmm. that awareness of if you miss something, it's okay, but how did you feel? Because I'm super motivated to eat lunch, not because I'm hungry, but because I know that it's going to make me feel better. So that's my hunger cue, for example, when it's like 1231. Yeah. I like to think of that as like intelligent, intuitive eating because you've learned that about yourself and now you've created a habit around it. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think that that's really important. And I do that too. I think, you know, something I'm always trying to tell my clients is like, I'm not this like, you know, just because I'm a nutritionist doesn't mean that like ice cream isn't delicious to me. Like, you know, I still have to remind myself of all of these things. And my husband and I, every single January, we do the reset. And like one thing, you know, and for me, I think about nutrition as like, you know, what makes you happy? What makes you live like a fuller, more enjoyable Mm -hmm. life? And for me, like in January, I had a very busy month with my book coming out and, you know, we did this and I felt like I had so much more energy. And like one thing for me that like is like a really like marked, like something that I think like genuinely makes my life better is like, you know, my husband and I both work full time. Our son's in school till 5 p.m. We pick him up. We're tired. 
okay, because we've been working all day. And, you know, then we're playing with a three-year-old or we're turning on Bluey um, or whatever, and then it's bedtime and blah, 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 blah. But I'm, you know, I you just have so much more energy. And then yeah. that time is so much more impactful and it's so much more fun. And then we're building Legos and then, mm-hmm. you know, we're doing this and we're doing that. And when he does go to bed, I'm like, oh, that was really nice. Yeah. And like, I, I think that nutrition, sometimes, you know, you do have to – make the conscious choice for your future self. Like Mm. maybe in the moment, you know, grabbing that candy bar or, you know, the, whatever it is, the muffin, whatever is convenient and sounds really good. But when you start to really feel better, then your preferences start to change because you don't want to be tired. You know, you don't want to be irritable. You don't want – and, like, I find with nutrition, like, you know, of course there are a lot of physical benefits for, like, eating well and sleeping well and moving your body. But I feel like the mental uh, and emotional benefits are just, like, so strong. And, like, the feedback that I get, like, the fa- my favorite things that I hear from people is when they say, like, gosh, my anxiety has, like, yeah. really gone down. Like, I didn't realize that – like I was even – it was even possible for me to not have anxiety or I have so much more energy throughout the day or I'm way less irritable. Like, you know, you get an email at work that normally would have like like sent you through the roof and you're like, all right, sure. Like those are the moments where I feel like making those healthy choices can make such a huge impact on your life and those mm-hmm. around you. Absolutely. I love that. Um, well, I want to talk about so much of – nutrition and healthy eating is about what we don't eat, but there's also about what we do eat. And there are some foods that are kind of like superfoods or have superpowers. I've really been getting into a few specific things right now, like pomegranate and cranberry and all like the very deeply pigmented fruits and vegetables are top of mind for me, things like goat milk and stuff like that. So what are some foods that you absolutely love that you're including in your diet on a daily or weekly basis that you're finding like, wow, these are foods that are making me feel like are really healing foods? Yeah. I mean, olive oil, like a good quality olive oil to me is just like salt of the earth. I mean, A, <laughs> you can taste it. Yeah. Um, it's just absolutely delicious. Like I always think like Food, like what's the reason why when we eat something, we get this like pleasure sense? And it's because we have to eat. Otherwise, we would die. Like we have to eat. And so, you know, like what are – sometimes when you eat something that's like so good for you and you're like, wow, this just like tastes amazing. But anyways, olive oil for me is like top, top, top. Um, you know, when it comes to vegetables, I'm all about variety. So, you know, I'm always trying to lean into like how many different varieties of things that I can get. Can I get like a nice lettuce mix every week? So we always have fresh greens in the house and I try to switch them up as much as possible. Like a really good quality sea salt. Um, Mm. I think that that is super important. I'm a huge fan of spices. I know that that's not like one superfood thing, but um, I'm a, you know, I think that, I think a lot of times uh, in the US, we don't flavor our food as much as they do in other countries. And like, it's just makes your food so delicious and it has like enormous health benefits to it. So it's just like a win-win to me. So, you know, we do like, and like, I think spice blends are really great Mm. and easy way to, you know, start cooking with more spices. Like I love like a curry or a garam masala. Um, I think that those are just like amazing spice blends or like a za'atar. There's so many different blends that you can use that can add just like 
just supercharge your meals and add so much flavor. Um, and same thing with fresh herbs. Um, it's just, you know, again, in like an injection of flavor and makes everything taste like fresher and brighter, uh, but then is adding so many nutrients. Yeah, absolutely. I feel and like fatty fish, fatty fish. I yeah. really, yeah, I'm a big, big fatty fish fan. And are you sticking to the cold water fish or is it salmon? I know there's the smash fish is usually what people Yeah, are. the smash fish are the best fish, you know, and I think like on a weekly basis, like, you know, I'm, I'm cooking salmon at least once a week and it's definitely like mm -hmm. a go-to order of mine. Like from a taste perspective, I just like love fish. I like, you know, love shellfish. I love all seafood. Um, but yeah, the smash fish, those are the superfoods that I definitely would recommend incorporating. Love it. Love all of those. I was going to say something, but it slipped my mind. So I know, Yasmin, you wanted yeah. to potentially... I'd love, yeah, I'd love to kind of close. I know we're hitting the hour here, but you talked about so many things that, you know, have worked or not worked with your clients. But looking at everyone you've worked with, what would you say are maybe like one, two or three of the top mistakes that you see people making when it comes to nutrition and food? Well, the biggest is protein, like I mentioned. Um, I think that that is huge. Uh, you know, I don't, I think that people underestimate, as I kind of mentioned earlier, the importance of sleep and what that can do to nourish you and help, you know, with your food choices. I'm always telling people that nutrition is more than what you eat because there are things outside of our, you know, of what we're physically eating that impact, you know, what we eat, why we eat, you know, how we're eating, how we're metabolizing the foods that we eat. And so I'm always like, trying to encourage my clients to look at their behaviors and their lifestyle beyond food that can be, you know, that can really impact the food choices that they make. I will say as a healthcare practitioner over the pandemic, I think the absolute worst thing for you is stress. Mm -hmm. I think, I, I don't think that there is a, a food that you can eat that is worse than stress. Uh, and it's, you know, just, chronic in uh, our our modern world, but there are, is so much that we can do with diet and lifestyle that yeah. can reduce the amount of stress on our bodies. Even though there are many stressors that are outside of our control, there are things that are within our control. And I think focusing on that can make a really huge impact. Man, I am so passionate about this because people ask me all the time, they're like, you know, how do you deal with burnout and going, going? And I, I literally, what you said is my magic sauce is like, I really focus on protein. I feel like I'm not as anxious, truly. Like, I feel like I can manage, I'm a little bit more resilient with business, with stress, with managing people. Sleep is huge for me. And you don't really realize the difference until you do both of those, you know, and then you're like, wow, I actually feel like much calmer of an individual. And then those in turn help me with the stress piece. So I think what you said is just so simple, but powerful. And Ooh. I just love that. And there's science to back this up, you know, fatigue, not getting enough sleep is a state of stress. And like, you're going to crave more stimulants and sugar, carbohydrates to get you throughout the get you through the day. And those are going to spike your blood sugar levels. And when you have a blood sugar spike, you also have a cortisol spike. And so if you're not eating enough protein and you're tired and craving more sugar and like, it's just, you know, it snowballs and it adds a lot of stress to your already stressful load. So yeah. yeah, sleeping and eating protein are two huge things you can do to impact your stress levels. 
Oh my gosh. I, I wish I could just put this on broadcast because you don't know how many people come and tell me how many of my friends are like, I'm just tired all the time. (laughs) The protein and like magnesium. I like, we like puzzle magnesium in my house. Like I love that moon juice magnesium. I don't know if you guys have that. It's so good. It's like our little nightcap. And I mean, we are just like, sometimes I'm like, that's too much. (laughs) It's just, I mean, yeah, it really is great. And I just, I think that we are so deficient in magnesium, but that'll be the topic of our next podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Mia. It's so nice to finally see you and hopefully we get to do this again sometime. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. Yes. Thanks for coming on.